text this evening is taken from the first letter of Peter in chapter 2, and it's the first phrase in verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, our title tonight is Christ's Preciousness. And our text is this, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. This is one of those jewels which stand out, that we look at it and we see it and we marvel at it. It's a statement, it's true, undeniably true, and its character and truth are attested tonight by many here. And we can say, unto us who believe, he is precious. The he, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are called, you are all who believe in Christ tonight and who have turned from your sin. You've left this world, so to speak, and all your hopes, all your joys, and everything that you truly value are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. A statement unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. You can translate this verse slightly differently. It gives a more emphatic meaning. Unto you, therefore, which believe belongs the preciousness. So I want to look at this verse tonight. Now it's become a fashion. I think this is mostly amongst younger people. This isn't a criticism to use this word precious in a very different way. We say about a furry animal, oh, that's precious. We say about a man or a woman that are just about to be married and they have their wedding photos or even their pre-wedding photos, oh, that's precious. I'm sure it is in a sort of emotional way but that's not what this word means here tonight. He, Christ, is not like a furry animal. He is not like a couple about to get married. No, he is infinitely valuable and to be honored. That's what the word precious means in a biblical context, as we shall look at this evening. The word in God's word means honorable and priceless. And so when we think about something being precious, that's what we should contemplate this evening. Now the word precious, don't want to do a word study upon it, but it seems like Peter has a particular affection for this word. And we will understand its meaning if we just turn to some of the references, he uses it seven times in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. We just put them in order and we turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and look here at verses 5 down to verse 9. The first use he has of this word precious is in connection with faith, saving and living faith. 1 Peter chapter 5 he writes, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, 
ready to be redeemed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Faith is precious. It's so precious that it has a value much, much greater than all the gold in the world. Gold fades. The price of gold goes up and down. You can actually, if you try hard enough, tarnish and diminish gold, but not faith. Faith that takes a person, faith which is a gift, a gift from God, and it takes a person from darkness to life. It is the means of salvation. That's what it says in verse 5, through faith unto salvation. And then when that faith is tested and tried, or we read the accounts of those persecuted in wars, in conflict, behind the Iron Curtain when there was one, and we read of everything stripped away, and yet faith doesn't deteriorate. It gets stronger and stronger. No wonder Peter says, more precious than of gold that perishes. Well, that's the first use of the word faith. If you turn to chapter 1 and verse 19, we see a second. These are helpful to give us the use of this term. He says here in verse 19, 1 Peter 1, verse 19, he's speaking about salvation again. He compares it to silver and gold in the previous verse. And he says, that what saves you is not like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. When you think of that word, it's not an emotion. It's not a sentiment. It's not a feeling. The precious blood of Christ. Just think of the transaction of what Christ did when he shed his precious blood as of a lamb, but a spotless lamb with no blemish, no spot. The precious blood of Christ. Think of the millions of millions of lives utterly changed because of that blood. And if you're one of those tonight, you look at that blood and you say, it has a price, it has an honor, beyond anything else, the precious blood of Christ. Chapter 2 and verse 4, we see the third one. We read this. This is speaking of Christ in a different way. It's saying that he is like a stone 
to whom coming as unto a living stone, rejected, disallowed, refused, hated, despised, disapproved of men, but chosen of God and precious, precious, a stone hewn out, cut out of the rock with perfect corners to give a straight line and to be our guide for life, to be the foundation upon which we can build our lives and upon which his church is built. And we see the fourth mention down in verse 6, Wherefore, on account of Christ, also it is contained in the Scripture, a prophecy from the Old Testament, Behold, I lay in Zion, the church, a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Oh, what glorious truths these are. Just turn to chapter 2 of the second letter of Peter to Peter. Chapter 2. won't turn to the second reference, but this same expression is used twice in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. We thought about this a while ago whereby are given unto us exceeding and great and precious promises, that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Here's an unbeliever. They're dead. They're blind. They're lost. They're in prison. And they read one verse. That verse is a promise. And they take that verse, they close their eyes, they get down on their knees, and they plead that promise. That's what this verse is saying. Do you think that promise will be lost from that person's life? No, they'll remember it. They'll prize it. They'll write it on the wall. They'll tell others about it. When they give their testimony, they'll say, that was the precious promise. And I pleaded it. And I found it to be true. And that, because of that, I've become almost divine in my nature. I've taken on some aspects, oh, very few in this life, but some aspects of the divine nature. I don't lie anymore. God never lies. I love with all my heart. I have compassion. Christ has compassion. I've become a partaker of the divine nature. I once had a corrupt nature. It was bad in every department. When I had the opportunity to sin, I jumped at it. And now, in some respects, 
I've taken on part, a growing part, I trust, of the divine nature because I've escaped the corruption like worms that eat through an apple. The corruption that is in this world through my sinful desires. Now I have desires for Christ. And it was that precious promise that I pleaded by faith. My life was changed. No wonder Peter calls it the exceeding great and precious promises. Just turn back to our text then this evening. 1 Peter chapter 2. One Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. I want to think for just a few minutes. To whom is he precious? Not to everyone, as we thought this morning. There are those to whom he's precious, his people, and there's everybody else. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. This is a vast number of people. If you were to ask tonight, I'm not going to do it, but you can do it in your heart, is he precious to you? If you can say, yes, Lord, Jesus Christ is precious to me. He's my Lord, he's in charge of my life. He rules his ways, his government are what I look to. And he's also my saviour. He's taken every one of my sins. He's taken the punishment for my sin. He's carried that burden, every single one of them. He's carried that burden to the cross and he's borne it with his final breath. We can say, he is precious. Can you say that tonight? Some of you, I think you probably can, but I don't know. You can say it in your own heart, but you need to profess it with your lips. And you need to delay no longer. And you need to say, unto me who believes, he is precious to me. This is personal. He's not precious to them. It's personal unto me. He knows these people. He knows them by name. He knows the hairs on their head. He knows how many of them there are unto them. He knew them from before time began. And he will come again when the final one has professed that he is precious to them. What are these people like? They are humble people. They are people who are no longer stubborn and proud, waiting and resisting, rejecting, disproving of Christ, wanting a different way to be washed. No, these are people that have humbly accepted that they need to be washed and that Christ is all they need. These are wise people. They're not wise on their own, but the Lord has made them wise unto salvation. The all-knowing, all-wise God has given you wisdom 
and you know that wisdom is to fear God. And these are ordinary people. They're not the great, not many of them, not the mighty, not the elite, just ordinary people. Who are these people not? It says very solemnly in this verse, it says, those who disallowed him, those who rejected him, they are, did you hear it? Disobedient. Do you know not to respond to the call of God to come for salvation makes you characterized by disobedience? That's what it tells us here. He calls them disobedient, but unto them which be disobedient. Waiting for God, waiting to turn from your sin, waiting before you see him as precious, is to disobey him. He calls. He may not call for much longer. You may think, if I reject him this one more time, if I disobey one more time tonight, maybe you'll be right. He won't call again. But unto them which be disobedient. It says it again in verse 8. To them he's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word. What's the word? The word is repent, the word is believe, and to them they are disobedient. It's a solemn word. It means not to want to do what we're told, not to listen to the consequences, not to see what this means for your life, to be disobedient. Well, let's look secondly, in what ways is the Lord Jesus Christ precious? We say it, I've told you it means valuable, priceless, honorable. So how can we say that this man living 2,000 years ago, whose public ministry just lasted three years, how is he precious? Three Ps. He's precious in his perfection. Have you ever thought of Christ's life? What pressure he was put under. He was scrutinized by his family and then publicly and privately by tens of thousands of people. And do you know when that happens normally? With us, the more pressure we're put under, the more likely we are to buckle, to lose our temper, just think of the pressure that Christ was put under there in the desert for 40 days, having not eaten. And there he's tempted the greatest temptation known unto man three times. And he didn't buckle. And then when he got near to Gethsemane, the thought did come across his mind. Maybe, maybe, I can say no to this calling. Maybe 
Can we say that reverently? Maybe there's a way out, maybe. But nevertheless, not my maybe, but the will of God be done. What scrutiny, what pressure he's put under. The nearer you get to my life, I'm sorry, but you'll see more that I'm ashamed of, disappointed with. Let myself down and let others down, but not Christ. The closer you get to him, the more his perfection shines, the more his glory is revealed, the more you see in him the fullness of the Godhead dwelling bodily. That's how he's precious, in his perfection. A precious gemstone that shines brighter and glints and glistens as the more light is shone upon it. And yet we're the opposite, aren't we? When we're put in the corner and when the light is shone, we hide, we run, and we're ashamed at the presence of God. Just think of those that testified of his perfection. The woman at the well, she said, he told me all that I ever did. Pilate said, I find in this man no wrong. He was a man that had every reason to say the very opposite. The people were baying for the blood of Christ and for his crucifixion. The centurion, whose job it was to kill him, said, certainly, this was a righteous man. What about that thief on the cross? who having cross-examined his life, when the pain was the most excruciating, when the wrath of God was poured out upon him, he said, of this man he has done nothing amiss the testimony of everyone under the intensest scrutiny. What about his unique person, his perfection, and his person. No one else can say, I and the Father are one. No one else can say, if you know me, you know the Father. You know God. He's the way we can know God. He's the only way that we can know the God of all the earth. No one else can say with any credibility, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. He is utterly unique. What about his power? He had, and he still has, the power to create and the power to destroy. With a word, he brought into existence the heavens and the earth and all that therein is. In a word, he gave life to those that were dead. And he could say of himself, I have power to lay myself and my life down. And I have power to take it again. You can't do that. No one else can say, I'm going to die and tomorrow I will live again. If they say that, they're a fraud. They never really died. 
That's why so many people had to testify that Christ did die and Christ did rise again. Well, let's think finally tonight in our text. We've thought of who, who considers him precious and who doesn't. And we've thought of how and in what ways he is precious. But how does he become precious? Isn't that what we need to know tonight? If he's not precious to you, it's my desire, it's the desire of people that have prayed in three prayer meetings this week in this church that he would become precious to you personally as never before. How does he become precious? Well, you don't need a course. You don't need to learn in a way very much. There's just one word it says in our text. Unto you therefore which believe. Believe, is there something for me to do in a way? No. But in a way, the way that the word of God puts it is I must believe. I must believe. Let's think of the thief on the cross. Two of them. One obviously didn't believe and the other one obviously did. It's day, light, day and night difference. One did believe. But he was never baptized. Is it necessary to be baptized? I had a man come and knock on my door in desperation during lockdown. He thought he was ill. He saw Bibles outside and he said, Please, baptize me today. Otherwise, I cannot go to heaven. And I said to him, the thief on the cross was never baptized. There's no ritual, no ceremony that will take you to heaven. We have a baptism next Sunday evening. That won't take that man to heaven. What takes him is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The thief on the cross, he was never a member of the church doesn't mean it's not right to be a member of a church. doesn't mean it's not right to be baptized. The Word of God teaches it. But there was no time. The thief on the cross. If you asked him what was the difference between justification and sanctification, he couldn't have spelt the two words, let alone explain that justification is how I'm made right with God legally, and sanctification is that process of then making me clean, cleaner and cleaner every day for the rest of my life. Let me tell you the differences between the two thieves. Maybe this will help you as we close tonight. What was the difference in those few hours, one man feared God. That's what it says about the thief on the cross. He feared God. He started off mocking God, despising God. But then he said to the other man, don't you fear God? Do you fear him tonight as your judge? as your Lord, as your Savior. Secondly, he 
He said to the other man, Don't you fear God? Because we are rightly condemned. And you know all of us tonight are rightly condemned. The difference between me and you, if you don't believe in Christ, is my condemnation has now been put on Christ. And now no condemnation do I dread. And thirdly, that thief on the cross knew that he must be punished. Must be punished. Fourthly, he believed that Christ was the Son of God. He knew he was God, not just a man. And he knew that this Son of God had the power to save. And so he said to him, Will you remember me this day? That was his prayer. Isn't it a simple prayer? Will you remember me this day in paradise? He knew that Christ was ascending to heaven. He knew that he would be seated at the right hand of his Father. He knew that he had the power to grant entry into heaven. And so he says, remember me this day. He knew that without Christ remembering him, he would go to hell, away from God, banished for all eternity. But there was something else about this man. As he said those words, Lord, remember me, he was exercising faith. There was no one else he believed in. He didn't believe in himself. He said to Christ, You, please, remember me. Christ was his only hope. He was his only means of salvation. It was too late for anything else. He's about to breathe his last breath. And to him, Christ was precious. We have a hymn. I'd like to read you a few verses of it. It's in a different hymn book than the one that you have with you tonight. These are the words of this hymn. Jesus is precious, says the word. What comfort does this truth afford? And those who in his name believe with joy, this precious truth Receive, this is Samuel Medley's hymn. To them he is more precious far than life and all its comforts are that thief on the cross. All his comforts were gone. More precious than their daily food, more precious than their vital air. He's, he's precious in his precious blood that pardoning and soul-cleansing flood. He's precious in his righteousness, that everlasting heavenly dress. And then one more verse. As they draw near their journey's end, how precious is their heavenly friend. And when in death, they bow their head. He's precious 
on a dying bed. What of you, my friends, tonight? Do you believe? Is Christ all in all to you? Can you say with the thief, there's nothing in life now for me but Christ. He is my all in all. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank thee for Jesus Christ. O Lord, change our estimation of him from being just a fact, just an emotion, just a thought, into being beyond price, into being above valuing, into being deserving and worthy of all honour. Put him above everything in our life tonight, so that when we come to our dying bed, we see and we love only Christ. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.